Terry Tracy. Thank you so much for joining us today. Good morning, Dawn. That was uh, overly generous, but, but thank you. And I and listen, you're you're right. The incoherence of the Republican Party at a moment when the nation faces as many existential threats as it does is something that should be a source of frustration for all of us. And also, why to your point, we have to focus on the the blocking and tackling of sort of building the movement, and it begins with local elections because uh, you know the folks at the local level are the ones that have the biggest impact on our, our quality of life. And and they're the folks, they're the, they're the farm team, right, for state houses and governor's offices and Congress. And so we, we've got to pay more attention and do a better job at the local level. Yeah, I well take point well taken. So I want to talk about the suburbs in particular, but our entire region, if we could. And your, one of your latest columns talking about Upper Darby and Delco moving in the wrong direction, not adjusting and what we could face in some of our suburbs. You're also writing about some big controversies that are going on in Bucks County that nobody else uh, in the mainstream media wonder why um, are really talking about. But let's begin with what you talk about with taxes. And you talked about the perfect storm in the case of, let's say, Upper Darby Township. Tell me what you're talking about. Yeah, well, let me first touch on why Upper Darby Township matters to folks outside of Upper Darby Township. Um, it's the sixth largest municipality in the state. And so when you think about, you know, we've got Philadelphia and Pittsburgh, and you've got the other big towns, the Scrantons and the Reddings and the Erie's of the world, Upper Darby sort of gets lost in the mix because it's immediately adjacent to the city. Mm-hmm. And, you know, with the Inquirer not having the suburban bureaus the way it used to, and the county papers, the county dailies really basically just becoming, you know, a local sports page and ribbon cuttings. That's all they cover. <laughs> you've got these you've, you've got these big municipalities in the suburbs where all of this stuff is going on that have in the aggregate a tremendous impact on the future sort of fiscal and socioeconomic health of the region and no one's and no one's paying any attention and it's particularly exacerbated at the moment by the cares act and the arpa act right so these towns and counties in the last couple of years received tens if not hundreds of millions of dollars in federal stimulus funds, both both the Trump and the Biden stimulus packages were, were passed in a rather harried fashion. And so there's not a lot of structure to the way these things were put together. So you're you're handing these folks just blank checks in a lot of ways. Yeah. And so what we've tried to do at Broad and Liberty in preparation for folks being able to um, consider, you know, the, the direction they would like to, to take their, their locales going forward is how do they spend this money? And what are the implications for how they spend it in the long run? I mean, we certainly saw this. I mean, the, the, the current the Biden administration makes the Obama administration look like pikers, right? Like in 09, after the uh, fiscal, the financial panic of 09. Remember the fight over the stimulus package, the American Recovery and Reinvestment Act, which was like nine hundred billion dollars. Now we're talking about trillions of dollars that are in the it's system. Crazy. And, and the question is, what, what are we doing with it? And, and, and what, what is the long-term effect? And are we using the money? I, I, I mean, there's a legitimate debate about whether we should have spent all that money or not. But once the check is cut, how is it being spent and what's happening? And Upper Darby is a really interesting case study. And so take me through what's at issue here. And we've, we've looked at, I talked earlier, uh, as you know, with Beth and we, we, Delco DA talking about um, the crime stats and and where we are and looking at and I've talked a lot to those in not just Delco but Bucks County, Chester County, um, you know Montgomery County, 
with the crime kind of bleeding over in from Philadelphia into suburban you know places and even South Jersey's in play. So take me through that a little bit. What you see with regard to what people are reacting to and what what might bring people to the polls who are more independent minded or just don't care about the partisan politics but just want some solutions. Right, right. Evidence-based, solutions-oriented, yes. results-focused government. How about that for a novel concept? Nice. So, right. So, um, look, like the, the folks in Upper Darby, Eastern Delaware County, they're, they are, they're fighting with one hand tied behind their back in some ways in that, you know, they're just the, – the fallout from the Krasner effect is just spilling over the border. And they don't have the resources, and they didn't have, I would argue, the foresight to say, okay, in the long run, how are we going to deal with this? Because the, the crime that is being fostered under the Krasner-Kenny regime is not going to say, oh you, know, oh, you know what, there's the border. We're just going to turn around and head back the other way. As opportunity presents itself, the criminal element is going to try to seize on it. And that's what's happening. You know, Delaware County is, a, is, an int- is interesting because they have had more homicides in the last year than all of the other suburban counties combined. And you see that in our, we did like a crime analysis, sort of a heat map, and you see the bright red spots. And it's not an accident that their geographic proximity to the hot spots in the city are what they are. So, you know, so that's, that's certainly a key issue. I, but I actually think for the, the long run, this, the, the fiscal health of these uh, suburban governments is, is really very questionable and something that folks should look at because once you have an unstable fiscal situation, the socioeconomic situation gets worse. The other issues, education, crime, the health of the local economy are already are all impacted by that. And I have a I have sort of a personal story to tell as it relates to Upper Darby, because I spent two years as the head of the economic development organization there. I was appointed by Mayor McCosey and the, the committee was um, affirmed by council. And we looked at the situation five years ago and said, look, there are red flags all over the field. So this is before COVID, before the challenges we face today, there were just structural problems based on Pennsylvania's tax system and Philadelphia's wage tax and how that creates um, sort of generational poverty and how the ales associated with that poverty sort of move around the region, right? And so how do you create new opportunity? How, you, how do you grow your way out of the problem? And the state, the state has a program called Act 47. Act 47 is the Distressed Municipalities Act. Any town that is effectively bankrupt goes into this program. It's been around since 1987. It's not particularly effective. The average time a municipality spends in Act 47 is something like 19 or 20 years. And there are uh, more than a few towns in the state that have been in the program in receivership since 1987 when the bill was created, when, when the bill was passed and the program was created. So it tells you, like, we're not getting our bang for our buck there, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, um, but back in, in the Wolf administration in 2018, they created an early intervention program. And basically what they tried to do is say, look, we know this Act 47 thing isn't really working. Towns where they're seeing structural challenges down the road, work with us proactively, and we'll figure out how to prevent you from getting there. So Upper Darby joined that program and it was all about sort of reimagining the local economy. How do we grow our way out of the problem again? By creating economic growth, more prosperity, and shifting the tax burden off of working families. Unfortunately, when this administration came in, the new mayor pulled the plug. She wasn't supportive of it when she was on council. 
Um, but the reasons why she pulled the plug on it are, you know, a mystery to me because uh, obviously we thought it was the right thing to do. But here we are four years later, and she recently held a town hall where she entered this early intervention Act 47 program. The problem is the situation is now significantly worse. And re- really the, the bottom line is the mayor there said the township is facing an $11 million structural deficit. We've had a consultant look at this. Um, it's only going to get worse. And, you know, the consultant acknowledges the administration has not handled its fiscal affairs well. It's a big town. It's almost 100,000 people. And, you know, when you and it's a $90 million operation. When you don't spend the money well and you're not good stewards of tax dollars, you're going to create all kinds of problems for yourself. The problem with the analysis was, and this is the story, I think, across the region, it only looked at the township. And the reality is for all of these uh, municipalities, you have three taxing authorities. You have the county, you have the school district, and you have the township. And the problem in Upper Darby is because of the way each of those three entities has been governed over the last several years, four years at least now, they're all facing major structural deficits. And the reason they're facing those deficits is because they took the federal money that was supposed to be used to either replace lost revenue or help to you know, get the local economy off its feet after uh, you know, the, the lockdowns and get things back in order. Instead, what they did was they spent on a lot of recurring costs, personnel, uh, real estate that requires ongoing operations, creating new bureaucracies, a health department, all these kinds of things. And, and, you know, there's an ideological element to that here, right? Like Democrats think government is the solution to everything. So they took federal money and made local governments substantially larger. And so between the, the mismanagement of the township level and the $11 million deficit there, a school district that is struggling and is looking to double its debt. So the school district there used $20 million in federal money to, to offset, um, uh, new recurring cost expense. Mm-hmm. Plus they had to pull a couple million dollars from the rainy fund. Plus they still raised taxes by two and a quarter and a county government that is going to be facing a $60 million structural deficit. When the, um, when the COVID money runs out, you take a $5 million allocation to upper Darby and you're looking at a situation where there's a $46 million structural deficit in a municipality already is way overtaxed, right? And so by adding the necessary 10 mills on top of the current millage rate to cover $46 million structural deficit, you're looking at a situation where the average homeowner is going to be paying several thousand more dollars a year in taxes, plus they propose layering uh, an earned income tax on top of it. The bottom line is this is a recipe for disaster and will send the largest municipality in um, – Delaware County, the second largest municipality outside of Philadelphia and southeastern Pennsylvania, and the sixth largest in the state into an absolute death spiral. Yeah, and this is, you know, I I think that they really think, and same with the Biden administration, all these Democrats, the the theme here, the pattern is they just think, oh, we've got, we've got, we've got not just millions, we got billions, we got all this money, and it's as if it's monopoly money, and nobody is minding the store and minding the budget. It's crazy. Yeah, I mean, at least the federal government can print money until our investors Jeez. tell us we can't print print money anymore. With these localities, they can't. They have to balance their budget, right? And so the only place they can go to is uh, – the only well they can go to is the taxpayer and, and real estate taxes. 
and you continue it, you continue to raise real estate taxes, you continue to depreciate real estate value, you create a situation where those with the means to move move. So you're not attracting private capital, you're scaring it away. The relative impact on on property values is is adverse. You layer on an, a regressive income tax, which hurts the poorest and most vulnerable amongst you. And it's you just create a situation. They might not have a choice at this point because they just need the cash because of the situation they've put themselves in. But the problem is, is that, the, again, the socioeconomic impact mm-hmm. in the long run is really significant. This is you're watching a town die. You ever drive through a town and, and you see it in in urban and rural places alike across town, you go and you drive through, you go, how does town get like this? There's always a story. It's not an act of God. It's not a natural disaster. It's a function of policy choices and leadership choices that people make in roles of responsibility, typically in elected office. And we, as an electorate, do not do a good enough job of paying attention to how these these affairs are being managed and holding them accountable at the ballot box. So, and, you know, particularly in the case of Upper Darby, this is not an ideological discussion outside of maybe like Democrats like to tax and spend more than the Republicans do, or maybe there's some differences in, in crime prevention tactics. But at the local level, it's not overly ideological. It's really about competence at the end of the day. Well, and that's what we're missing. Well, one of the many one of the many things we're missing, competence, high quality leadership, as I say, but... Th- that brings me to, I just wanted to try to quickly touch on Bucks County, because sure. I, I, I had talked about this. I know that Broad and Liberty, you had written about it. I've done interviews about it. But this whole issue that, of the fact that, that taxpayers, and this is in Bucks County, could ultimately be on the hook for not $100 million, but it's actually $119 million. And then it's shocking who's suing. And 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 the, and the fact that it's somebody who's a, a plaintiff that is a, a usual suspect, if you will. Can you take us through a little bit um, with this case? And it's just it's it's shocking to me that this doesn't get Terry Tracy more headlines or more looks or more investigation. Yeah, and it's a little bit of a yeah, it's, it's a bit of a sticky yeah it's a bit of a sticky wicket. I mean, we've certainly Todd Shepard, you know, who runs our news division, has mm-hmm. has looked at it rather extensively, and it's a complicated um, it's a complicated issue to explain. It's a complicated story to tell, but you're right. There are conflicts of interest all over the place, and yeah. what's going on behind the scenes is largely about you know sort of uh, partisan politics, internal, local, whatever, and. But the again, the taxpayer, the average voter doesn't really know what's going on. And and Bucks, you know, we're still sort of moving through the analysis there. We've gotten further, to be honest with you, on mm-hmm. Delco and Chesco than Bucks. But in addition to that, you know, they're probably looking at an eight to ten percent tax increase based on how they spent COVID money. Plus, you know, and I know the markets have been tough, but they took a hundred hundred million dollar hit roughly on their pension last year. I mean, it goes back to the broader theme, which is that we don't have folks who are good stewards of tax dollars in too many local offices. We've got people who are overly ideological and unqualified for the offices that they hold. I think the story, the story is that, you know, uh, during the sort of anti-Trump wave in the suburbs, the people who got elected were just kind of standing there. A lot of them maybe didn't expect to be elected. They were elected by surprise. You know, in this case, 
you know, the Democratic Party, which was the the opposition party, the minority party in 2019, uh, wasn't necessarily organized enough to vet its candidates. I mean, there's probably a hundred different reasons, right? But what happened was, outside of a select few, and it's, they're not not all bad, but mm-hmm. as a broadly speaking, you had folks who were elected to office who didn't know what they were doing. The federal government handed them a giant blank check, and then there was all kinds of sort of political bloodletting that was behind the scenes because one party was in power for the first time in 150 years. Yeah, and. And then you that's compounded by the fact that the inquirer's coverage of all of these issues has basically retreated to be, uh, for the most part, within the city's borders. Whether you like their coverage or not, uh, the issue is they're not covering it. Right? <laughs> it's, right. it's, it's worse, right? They're only talking about city hall and sort of what's going on within city limits. And, you know, these county dailies where you think they would be covering stories like the one that you referenced, at this point, they are so reliant on the public notice revenue, just to say in business, they don't want to make the people who are cutting the checks for the public notice uh, notices unhappy, mm-hmm. right? And so the, this whole notion of investigative journalism, adversarial journalism, getting to the truth just doesn't happen. Yeah. It doesn't happen anymore. And well, so, and, and, it's, it's a, and it's, you know, to the detriment of the taxpayer and, 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 the, and the citizen. Yeah. Well, I mean, here's the thing. I'll just say... The bottom, I don't have to be a lawyer or a judge or an expert to look at a proposed, you know, $119 million settlement over, over something that is an equal pay, uh, type, type of a lawsuit involving coaching jobs that were not high paid coaching jobs. I mean, even, even back in the day, let's remember Gretchen Carlson with Fox News and she had a recording allegedly got 20, $20 million reportedly. So I'm just saying, oh, my goodness, you know, these numbers are eye popping. And I think yeah. that the people of Bucks County certainly deserve a whole lot of transparency that, you know, the leading plaintiff, Rebecca Cardi Herring, her husband, obviously running for right. CB West, um, right, or Rick Herring, right. Rick Herring running for um, the school board there. I, you know, it, it's it's the the dollar amounts are insane when when you look at that. I, I simply right. think, and by the way, if somebody deserves that, then are there, was this criminal? Was somebody sexually harassed? Nobody's charged. You know what I'm saying? If you're, if you're doling out, uh, you know, more than a hundred million dollars for something, well, where are the, da- where are the damages and where the, where the damagers then criminal? I don't see any criminal charges here. So what's, what's going on? No. And again, like you, you, you hit the nail on the head and there's, there's, there are conflicts of interest all over the place. I mean, you've got a guy who is running for a seat in order to represent the interests of the um, of of the district, whose spouse is suing the district and then requesting meeting for a settlement. Like, it doesn't. It really doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And then, you know, there was this interesting thing. This is sort of ancillary, but I think still instructive. Mm-hmm. Um, his uh, it, the Rick's wife had put something out on Twitter saying. They needed help paying off their $300,000 of legal debt, right? I think they've, they've incurred a lot of debt mm-hmm. through this whole process personally. But on Rick's ethics disclosure form, where you have to list your debts when you're running for office, and the point of the ethics disclosure is so, so voters can make a determination as to whether there are any conflicts of interest there, he doesn't list the fact that he owes a lawyer or a law mm-hmm. firm hundreds of thousands of dollars. Right. So should he be elected to the board? What kind of, again... 
what, where are his priorities going to lie? Is he going to get the best deal for the district and for the taxpayer? Or is he going to be more worried about the fact that, you know, they rolled the dice because they had an agenda and they've got a six-figure legal bill that they can't pay off? So, mm-hmm. and I only take that, I'm taking their word, I don't have proof of that, right? I'm taking their word based mm-hmm. on the plea on Twitter from earlier this year. But that's the kind of um, sort of in-the-weeds minutia that's yes. not getting out there that people need to understand, like, this is actually a big issue mm-hmm. because there, there is a lot financially at stake for everybody, and there's a total lack of transparency about whose interests are what. Yes. Amen. Terry Tracy, we have to end it there. Until next time, my friend, Terry Tracy, Broad and Liberty, trying to break down some tough issues. Thank you, Terry. I really appreciate you. Thanks so much, Don. I appreciate you as well.